instance in David's life, it's kind of interesting. He's beginning to be on the run from King Saul. Jonathan found out that Saul, his father, is not excited about David, and he is on the run. So he goes and flees, and he goes to... Um, he goes and finds, uh, tries to find a place to uh, hide out, and he gets the, so- the sword that he slayed Goliath with, and then he goes to, actually, the enemies of God, the Philistines, and he goes to King Achish, and word gets out that, hey, this is David, this is the one that people sang about, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, so they're like, what is he doing here, and this might not be a good thing for us. And David realizes that suddenly he is in danger again. And he comes up with this idea to act like a madman. So he acts like a crazy person. It says that he, he's raving, he's scratching the walls, the, the spittle is coming down his beard. It's very interesting. He comes up with this plan, and then King Achish is like, you see this man is mad, why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow into my presence? Uh, shall this fellow come into my house anyway? This, this unusual plan works. Not the best plan, but it works out. But this is the background of this Psalm 34. And we'll see that David doesn't give credit to himself for his great idea. It was probably pretty embarrassing for him to do that. But this is what he says, and this is God's word from Psalm 34 to us. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray together once again. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, that we may hear your voice speaking to us, that you would give us hope once again, those of us who who seek you and want to know your will 
and one to receive strength. To hear that promise and to hear your guiding voice and to follow you. It is what we want most of all. So help us today. Help me in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I studied this this week, I thought about the question, what is the good life? Have you ever thought about that question, what is the good life? I thought about that for myself. And when I was a kid, I would see that TV show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Does anybody remember that show on TV? That the guy, the British guy would... Uh, Robin Leach would talk, would show us these uh, huge houses and fancy cars and all these things. So that was kind of my first glimpse of what maybe uh, our culture's vision of the good life is. Also, when I was a kid, we would go to White Sox games. I know some of you are Cubs fans. That's okay. We would go to White Sox games, and we would drive and park in the neighborhood. And I remember seeing these big, modern houses, and I thought to myself, that would be the good life. Live in a nice house like that. Live right by the stadium. Incidentally, later on in life, I did get to live in Bridgeport at 31st Street and not in a big fancy house. But it was nice. But it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. It, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't the promised land. But we enjoyed it. Also, as a kid, I would see those families that had conversion vans. And maybe you had, were blessed to have a conversion van. But I thought, how amazing would that be to just ride in the back of a conversion van on a long trip. I'm looking at Kirsten because her friend had one of these, and they got to go on a long trip. So she got to experience this, but I thought that would be the good life. Or I wanted to make it to the NBA, and as you could tell, that was not, that was not meant to be. But these were my visions, but I wondered about uh, for you. These days, the good life might look like being internet famous. YouTube or TikTok, these might be the things that, oh, if I could just have millions of followers and people watching my dances or what I do, like that would be the best. Or maybe it, it's being perfectly fit. Or maybe it is having an HGTV-worthy house. Or retirement. These are things that we think of as the good life. What is the good life? David even seems to ask the question in this psalm in verse 12 says, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Doesn't that sound like he's asking about the good life? He's saying, do you want the good life? Well, here's what God's word says, and this is the main idea this morning. We experience God's goodness as we live by faith. It's simple. But we experience God's goodness, the true good life, as we live by faith. So what does this good life look like? First, it's humble gratitude, humble gratitude if you're taking notes, if you want to. Look again with me at verses 1 through 3. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So first, this is praise. This is a life of praise that David lives, and why does he live it? Something happened to David that was incredibly good. You can even hear the tone of the way that he writes. He's very excited and grateful about what the Lord had done for him. He wants to bless the Lord at all times, and he wants others to experience the Lord's goodness. 
Now, as I thought about this, blessing the Lord at all times, I thought of, I don't know, maybe like Ned Flanders, just, you know, or, or I don't know, somebody like that, just constantly like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, but it doesn't really seem like maybe it's sinking in. Or maybe even picture someone at a, um, like at the Academy Awards or the Grammys, if you've listened to their music or seen them, you know the life that they live and the words that they say are probably not very God-glorifying. But often, what do you hear them say? First, I want to thank God for, for this or that. But this kind of praising the Lord continually, it may not be the words literally, praise God, praise God all the time, but it's something that arises from your heart, gratitude and praise to God because of what he's done. It may not be literally all the time, Obviously, David conversed with other people. He did his job. He did different things. But the cry of his heart is to praise God and thank God all the time for him to remember that God is present and working in his life. This is the proper response for him. It's the ongoing regular habit of his life. So we've got praise and we've got boasting in the Lord. What does it mean that my soul makes its boast in the Lord. When you think of David, he had accomplished much in his life, even up to this point. As a young man, he was watching the sheep. He had had this awesome experience defeating Goliath. He had much acclaim and praise. And he was even at this time, he had been anointed the king. He hadn't become king yet. He was on the run from Saul, but he had been anointed. So that's his future. And if you think about all the things that he accomplished, the temptation would be to say, I'm so much better than Saul. He's such a bad guy. I'm the one who deserves to be here. But the testimony that you hear from David over and over again is that everything that he has is a gift from God. He knows that to have a relationship with God is better than anything, and to walk before God is better than anything, and that everything that he's accomplished was accomplished by God's grace. And this is what we can say for ourselves. This is the kind of person that David is speaking to, not someone who is a self-made man or a self-made woman. Even the strength that you have to accomplish the things that you have is a gift from the Lord. And this is the way that we live the Christian life. It's praising God and it's boasting in the Lord. The best version of ourselves is when we're giving glory to God, when we're able to not have the attention be on ourselves, but even when we're with another person, to be able to ask them what's going on in their life, how are they doing. I know when I am secure in my relationship with God, when I'm living a life of prayer, living a life of focus on Him, it's much easier to focus on another person and say, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? I don't need to have the focus on myself and talk about my accomplishments when I have a proper focus on God's grace and my relationship with him. I'm free to focus on another person and say, what's going on with you? How can I pray for you? So this Christian life, this life, this good life that David presents for us, it's humble gratitude. But then in verses 4 through 7, he shares his testimony. God had done something. And this testimony is a deliverance from fears. Look with me at verses 4 through 7. 
David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So David sought the Lord. This word sought, simply praying, asking, trusting God, waiting for an answer. And in David's life, things got worse before they got better. Again, David finds out that Saul is intent on killing him, and he has to flee he has to flee outside of the kingdom. And even when he speaks about being delivered from all his fears, if you can think about David, what were his fears? Probably that he would be killed. Maybe his family would be killed. And for us, I don't know what your fears are, but I think it's good to think about what they are and then to bring them before God's presence. And sometimes it's a good, I don't know, a good exercise to think, what are we afraid of? Sometimes we, we live with anxiety. It's just kind of there. We're living with it as if it's uh, just a part of normal life. But I think what God wants us to do is look at that fear in the face and say, okay, if this happens, if this happens, if this happens, what will happen to me? Is God still going to be there even if that, the worst fear, a diagnosis, uh, my kid or my kids don't follow the Lord, all these things are things that we fear. Am I going to run out of money? Am I going to have all that I need? Sometimes we need to play it out in our minds and in our hearts and say, okay, these things could happen, but is the Lord going to be there? What has God said about my life and taking care of me? And David who experienced good and bad in his life, was able to see that the Lord was the one who delivered him. It wasn't his clever idea to act like a madman. That really got him out of trouble. It was God and his protection and his plan. He was going to be the anointed king, and nothing was going to stop that. Even Saul, who was the most powerful one in the land, couldn't stop it. His face, uh, he speaks about radiant uh, we, think, we, we think about people who are glowing, are so excited. This is the description of those who look to the Lord, who look to him and trust him. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. It's interesting. David, who would be the king? He describes himself as this poor man. No matter what you've accomplished in your life, you can describe yourself and you should describe yourself as this poor man, this poor woman, this poor child myself before God that God would notice me and love me and send his son to die for me saved him out of all his troubles we would like to think that the good life is having no troubles and in one way we think that would be good but David here describes the good life as being rescued from our troubles the Lord knows that this is a world of trouble this is a world of difficulty the difficulties that you experienced this past week the ones that I experienced they weren't outside God's plan, but he's there to deliver us. <clears throat> Not always changing the situation in that exact moment. And again, if we do that thought exercise of, 
okay, if this happens, if this happens, is the Lord still going to be with me? Even if I die in Christ, I'm with the Lord forever. So we have deliverance, but David experienced this in his life. And he describes the Lord encamped, watching over him and delivering him. So this is his testimony that he has. And then the third point, the third part is enjoying the Lord. Look at, look with verse, look at verses 8 through 10 with me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It's as if David is dying for his hearers to join in and experience what he has experienced. To taste and see that the Lord is good. To experience him. When you fear the Lord, you won't lack anything. Sometimes in the short term, when you fear the Lord, you might lack something. Again, the temptation is there to be dishonest, to get ahead, to get more money, to get more of an opportunity. But we have the promise here, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Even something like tithing won't prevent us from getting all that we need. It's, it's counterintuitive. We think if we give part of our money away, we're not going to have what we need. But we hear that here, here, that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Even this concept of taking refuge in the Lord, which we thought about last week, this is the opposite of pride. Pride takes refuge in one's own strength, accomplishments, and possessions. But over and over again, no matter what we've accomplished in this life, we continually bring ourselves before the Lord and say, I take refuge in you. I don't take refuge in my bank account. I don't take refuge in my house. These are all gifts from you. These are all things that could be taken away in a moment. But I'm safe when I'm trusting in you. We even see a glimpse of this, this tasting and seeing that the Lord is good in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.1. Peter says, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is what we experience when we taste the goodness of God, the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of his grace. I hear people say, um, you know, I want the meat of the word, and, and that's true. We should want that. But here, it's okay to, to, to seek and enjoy the milk, the pure spiritual milk that will grow up into salvation. We never stop growing up in Christ. And you taste that the Lord is good the first time when you believe in the gospel, but it's something that you taste over and over again. And we have the privilege this morning of partaking of the Lord's Supper and partaking of his goodness. But also in Hebrews 6, 5, the author speaks about having tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. David's encouraging his audience to fear the Lord because he has promised to provide everything that we need. This is the good life. David tried it out and experienced it to be true, and he wants us to experience the same. So why does David mention the young lions suffering and wanting hunger? I thought about this. And think about lions. Where are they in the food chain? 
the top, right? They can eat anything that they can catch. But David says, and it's interesting, this is hundreds and hundreds of years even before Christ came, and we could even see it if we watch the nature shows. Sometimes the lions are looking around and they can't find what they need. Even the strongest animal at the top of the food chain, even they sometimes go hungry. But David says, even that, um, even though that is true, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So food doesn't always go to the strong. Again, the strongest animals sometimes are hungry. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Um, this fourth section, the last section, the longest section, this is really following the Lord. So the, the previous section was enjoying the Lord, experiencing him. This is what it looks like to follow the Lord. This is how you experience the good life. Look with me at verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This sounds kind of like Proverbs. If you've read Proverbs 1 through 9, it's got kind of that vibe to it. What man is there who desires life and loves many good days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I'll stop there for a moment because we, it's obvious that sometimes David did resort to these things, whether acting like a madman or even when he uh, was able to get that sword, the Goliath sword from uh, the priest. Um, he didn't exactly tell the truth, and there were consequences for that. So David isn't, looking back, he is not endorsing that. It caused trouble, but he's saying the life that God wants us to live is a life of, of honesty, integrity. Sometimes in the short term, it does make things more difficult, and we are tempted to take shortcuts to get what we want. But David says this is the, this is the good life, keeping your tongue from evil, not being deceitful, turning away from evil to do good, seek peace and pursue it. It's interesting, David had many opportunities to get revenge on Saul. He had chances where he could have taken him out, but he didn't do that. Even though he knew he was going to be the king, David didn't take vengeance on Saul. And even when Saul died, he mourned for him. So he was demonstrating a life uh, of integrity and respecting the Lord. Remember over and over again, David say, how could I, how could I lay my hand on the Lord's anointed? His respect for the Lord even extended to the, the people around him, even someone that he would have every right from an earthly perspective to, to take him out. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. We're tempted to focus on those who do evil. Again, sometimes those who come from a different perspective than us are maybe threatening our idea of the good life. We're tempted to think things like, oh, if, if people from this political party would just disappear, you know, I would have my vision of the good life. Um, but we see here that God knows how to take care of evildoers. There is a judgment day coming, and we can be assured that he's going to take care of it all. He sees things perfectly. 
Sometimes we get into trouble because we're trying to do justice, but we don't always see things perfectly the way that God does. That shouldn't stop us from seeking justice, from speaking up when we need to, but we need to always remember that our justice is, is partial in this life. We seek it, but our ultimate justice is when Jesus comes back and judges the world in righteousness. But we see this wonderful promise. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Even though the Lord was with David, he, he experienced many lows in his life, not just in his circumstances, but on the inside. And he's able to say to us that the Lord was near him even in those moments. He may not have felt it in those moments. He may have felt that brokenness and that feeling of being crushed. But I hope this is an encouragement to you that if you feel that way, I've certainly felt this way, and the Lord delivers me, and, and sometimes I feel that way again. But sometimes when we feel this way, we think, how could God love me? How could God be near me? How could God be working in my life? But we have this promise here that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. So when you feel that way, don't believe that the Lord is absent. He's actually present. He wants you. Sometimes you feel that way because he wants that part of you that desires him, that wants him to be close. He wants that part of you to come out and to cry to him in prayer. Sometimes he, uh, well, we know that the best thing for us is to be close to the Lord. But sometimes the Lord allows us to experience difficulty and hardship so that we would cry out to him, so that we would see our faith, so that we would see that what we really want is to be delivered by him and not to be delivered through our own efforts. Look with me at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. David doesn't sugarcoat the way life is, even Jesus, when he said, in this world you will face trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The good life, the Christian life, the life of living before God, fearing him, trusting him, is not a life without difficulty. Sometimes we imagine, sometimes it's been presented to us that way, that if you would just believe in Jesus, all your problems will go away, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And those of us who have lived the Christian life any amount of time know that that is not true. I know, because my life is, is probably similar, there are difficulties that I experienced this week. There are difficulties that you experienced in this past week. Even if we're Christians, even if we truly believe in Christ, it doesn't relieve us from afflictions and difficulties. It didn't mean that for David. It doesn't mean it for us. Certainly, it didn't mean it for our Savior. He experienced much difficulty in this life. But the Lord delivered David. The Lord delivers us. Verse 20, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. This verse should be familiar because we see it in the New Testament when John speaks about Jesus on the cross. It was about to be the Sabbath day, and they wanted to take the bodies down. You had Jesus and the, the two criminals. And they got permission to, from Pilate to break the legs uh, so that they may be taken away. Apparently, the two, uh, one on the right, one on the left, were still alive. So they broke their legs so that they would be, they would be dead.
But when they got to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. So even in Psalm 34, there is a prediction of what will happen in the future. And for all of the bad, all of the evil, all of the suffering that these uh, enemies of Jesus inflicted upon him, they couldn't break his legs. They didn't do that. And it shows us that God is in control even, even of the suffering. And it becomes a picture of the gospel. And scripture was fulfilled. Verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This affliction that was brought upon Jesus is what brings our deliverance. God in his wisdom and in his power is able to turn even the most awful thing that has ever been done, which was killing the Son of God. This is what brings our deliverance. This is really our hope. This is what gives us the right to come before God, not based on our own accomplishments, not based on our status and who we are, but we come on behalf of the one who was slain, although his bones were not broken. And he is the assurance, he is our assurance that our suffering, our afflictions in this life uh, are not going to be the end of our story. Jesus died and rose from the dead. We will die unless Jesus comes back, and we will ultimately be with him in glory. And we'll ultimately be able to say and taste and experience that the Lord is good. We tasted a little bit in this life when we partake of the supper, when we come to him by faith, when we pray and look to him rather than to ourselves for what we ultimately need. But on that day, when we're seeing him face to face, we will say, the Lord is good. We will, we will taste and see perfectly and without any hindrance that the Lord is good. So the call is to trust in him, that the good life that we experience that he calls us to is the one that we live by faith. It's not the easy life. It's a one of trusting him day by day. It's one of walking with him. It's realizing that we are growing in him and we are learning from him. But that's how we experience it. That's how we taste it day by day when we look to him and trust in him and look to the one who was slain. Let's pray together and as we prepare for the Lord's table. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that this psalm points to you, that David experienced your grace in a powerful way in his life. And we can too, as we look to you, Lord Jesus, by faith. As we get to partake of the Lord's Supper together, we thank you, Lord, that we can get a glimpse and experience a glimpse of your goodness and of what you've done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to step down here. So what is the Lord's Supper? This is uh, a meal that we get to participate in that points to the gospel. We've heard the gospel. Now this is a way that we can taste the gospel, that we can experience with our senses what God has done for us to assure our hearts that are sometimes 
feeble and frail, sometimes we have a difficulty believing these wonderful things that Jesus really did die and rise from the dead. We get to taste these things. He wants us to experience it with all of our senses, just like we will in the new heavens and the new earth. Who is this meal for? This is a meal for those who have trusted in Christ. These are uh, elements for those who are looking to Jesus by faith. If you have not yet repented and placed your trust in Jesus, this is a time for you to, to pray to him, to think about what I've said, and to put your trust in him, for you to think about your life. Is your version of the good life going to bring you security? Ultimately not. Those riches, they fail. Those uh, TikTok videos, they're going to go away. There is only one true secure place, and it's with Jesus. It's trusting in him. It's living by faith in him, living a life of integrity before him, even when it's difficult, but living with the promise that he is going to take care of everything that we need. So if you haven't yet trusted him, I invite you today in the name of the Lord to trust in him and to know, for you to know, that if you come to him, he will not turn you away. He will accept you he will make you his child but trust in him look to him this meal is for those who look to him not for those who have had a perfect week not for those who are worthy again this whole testimony of psalm 34 is that none of us is worthy to partake of of this none of us is worthy to have god's grace what makes you worthy is by saying i'm not worthy what makes you worthy is by magnifying what jesus has done And to say of yourself, this poor man or this poor woman cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard. So we have the call of the gospel. We we receive it by faith. And God gives us this meal to participate in. And this is what we partake of so that we would become more like Jesus. That as we trust his word, as we live by faith, as we partake of these things by faith, we look more and more like Jesus. That we can say, yeah, I, I had some difficulties this week, but I also had victories. The Lord did answer my prayer. He came through in a way that only he could. So this meal is for those who need to be strengthened, to be strengthened to be able to look to Jesus. This is what you need, and this is what I need. Let me read for us what Jesus said about it. He said, uh, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took his bre- took the bread, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Take this, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, take and drink. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's give thanks for these elements, and then I'll invite everybody to come, to come forward and participate. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these these elements, Lord, it's simple uh, bread and juice, but they point forward to 
what we will experience in the new heavens and the new earth. They point to, Lord Jesus, what you did for us. You really did lay down your life for us. You really did suffer. You really did shed your blood. Lord, even though your bones were not broken, um, your body suffered, and you did that for us. Lord, as we partake by faith, as we look to you, as we taste these things, we pray, Lord, that you would encourage our faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.